Welcome to the Lake Point Church Weekend Messages Podcast. Thanks for joining us to hear the latest sermons happening at our church. We pray that God speaks to you in a timely way through this message. And if you're encouraged by this podcast, be sure to rate, review, and share it to help get the word out. You can find more digital content to feed your faith and our other podcasts by visiting lakepoint.church/digital. Now, let's tune into the message for today. Well, good morning, Lake Point family. If you guys got your Bibles, head over to Daniel chapter 4. Daniel 4 is where we are going to be today. Let me just say as a pastor, one of my favorite sounds in the entire world is when I say that, I hear rustling pages all over the room. I love it so much. Um, Hey, while you guys are turning there, um, I do just want to call your attention to marriage night coming up this Friday. We are excited about it. And honestly, we kind of like plan this in our heads, one, because the last year and a half had just been so hard. Uh, on so many uh, marriages, and we just want to make an investment in the marriages of Lake Point. I do want you to know, just to be really honest, so it's uh, $20 a couple. I just want you to know, like, we are operating at a loss on that night because, honestly, we just want to invest in you. So that just takes care of some gifts we're giving you and meals and uh and like I said last week, uh, it, uh, marriage night is cheaper than marriage counseling. And so just a, it's just a stewardship issue, honestly, guys. This is very obvious. Um, now, I do just want to address one thing real quick on marriage night, if, uh, if you're thinking about, thinking about heading there. I've had a couple, especially of our younger Lake Point folks, maybe they're single or heading towards marriage, like, hey, you know, where's our advice? Where's our counsel, okay? So I'm going to get this out in one shot. You guys ready? Here, here's, if you're heading towards marriage, here it is. I'm going to give it to you right now. So let me first, let me speak to the guys that are headed towards marriage. If you are dating, if you're engaged, someday you're going to be, here it is. Okay, guys, when it comes to your wedding day, okay, this is free right here, free. When it comes to your wedding day, she's been planning this day her whole life. She bought the magazine when she was 14. She used the towel as a wedding dress. You know, she put the pillowcase in the back of her head as a veil when she was 16. Like, she's been planning this day her whole life. Here's my advice. Just wear what she tells you to wear, stand where she tells you to stand, and do what she tells you to do, and you'll make her the happiest woman in the world, okay? Now, oh, that's good. See, they're agreeing. They're married. Now, wait. Now, let me speak to the ladies. Ladies, when it comes to your wedding night, He's been planning this night his whole life. So just stand where he tells you to stand, wear what he tells you to wear, and do what he tells you to do, and you'll make him the happiest man in the world. I see it right there. See, there, everybody knows that's true right there. That's gold. That's gold, okay? So for, for uh, marriage night, you can just text the word events to 20411, and we'll see you there, okay? Please send your angry emails about an over-the-line joke to steve.stroop at lakepoint. Okay, all right. Now, here's where we are today. We're in week four, week five of a series that we're just calling Thriving in Babylon. Thriving in Babylon. And what we've been saying is this is a series I'm gonna do, not going to do the whole spiel. This is a series, subtitle of the series is how godly people can thrive in a godless culture. How godly people can thrive in a godless culture. And really, if I was boiling down this entire series to one word, it would be the word influence. Influence. 
I've spent two different weeks in chapters one and three talking about how we resist the influence of the world on us as the people of God. This is going to be my second week talking about how we exert influence upon the world as a people of God. So we want to resist an influence. We don't want to become Babylonian. We don't want to assimilate. We, want, we don't want to, in the words of the Bible, conform to the pattern of this world. At the same time, God has called us to be salt and light in this dark world so that we are not influenced, but we radically influence the world in which we find ourselves. Now, this chapter, Daniel chapter 4, it talks about a very specific type of influence, and I just want to pull a thread from the New Testament, okay? When Jesus, now, now you guys have been around church for, for a while, don't answer out loud and pretend you don't know the answer to this question, okay? When Jesus was here, Jesus gave a very simple statement about what he wanted to see happen in your life, and he just said it like this in Mark chapter 1. He just said, follow me and I will make you, now try to fill in the blank in your head, not out loud, what do you think if Jesus was given one sentence? Here's what I want to see happen in your life. Follow me and I will make you. I think most of us, here's what we think. We would think he'd say, follow me and I'll make you more moral. Follow me and I will make you more prayerful. Oh, maybe, maybe, maybe Jesus would say, follow me and I will make you a better student of the Bible. That's not what he said. Here's what Jesus said. Follow me and I will make you fishers of men. That there is one thing that God is trying to do in your life. As you follow him, he's trying to turn you into somebody that influences other people to become followers of Jesus himself. Now, in Daniel 4, so we're talking about influence. In Daniel 4, listen, yes, as Christians, we want to be salt and light in the world. We want to influence things like nations, cultures. We want to do that through influencing things like laws, policies, politics, government, education. We want to influence all those things. But can I be really honest? Laws, policies, governments, and education are insufficient to fix what is wrong with this world. Guys, governments cannot fix what governments did not break. Education cannot fix what education did not break. And when we open our Bibles, we find out is that at the root of every problem in the world is not a government issue or education issue or a policy issue, it's a sin issue. And if we've got a sin issue that's at the root of all the problems in the world, the only solution is a salvation solution. Sin problem, salvation solution. Follow me and I will make you fishers of men. So in Daniel chapter four, I'm gonna give a quick overview. Now, in Daniel 4 is the second time that God has given Nebuchadnezzar a spirit-filled dream. I'm going to talk about that here in a second. I know some of you guys throughout this series have been like, hey, Josh, you're skipping the, the dreams. You're skipping the prophecies, all that stuff. In two weeks, I'm going to spend the entire message on end times, return of Christ, uh, what, what Bible scholars historically have called eschatology. We're going to do that in two weeks. What I'm doing today is focusing on how Daniel exerted an influence of witness, that's the word for today, witness, upon Nebuchadnezzar that resulted in a shift in the nation. Okay, so brought over you this chapter, God gives Nebuchadnezzar like a spirit-filled dream. Because Daniel is not filled with the spirit of Babylon, he's filled with the spirit of God, Daniel has the ability, a spiritual gift, to interpret that dream and he gives a verbal witness into Nebuchadnezzar's life that results in a, a shift in the trajectory of the nation. Now, here's what I wanna do. Everybody in this room, uh, everybody within the hearing of my voice, has somebody in your life where it's like you don't just want them to have a better marriage, 
You don't just want them to be better, better you know, sort of financially grounded in their life or, or more moral. You want to see them in heaven. You guys, maybe kids, maybe grandkids, friends, parents, coworkers. You don't want just a better life. You want an eternal life for them. This passage is a handbook for how to do that. Now, let me get into it like this. In Romans 15, the Apostle Paul, who is probably the best, most anointed, we're going to call it evangelist, old church word, evangelist in the New Testament. Planted more churches, saw more people saved in his ministry in Belson in the New Testament. Paul, at the end of Romans 15, he describes his threefold evangelism strategy, his witness strategy, threefold like this. He says, for I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me to bring the Gentiles, people who don't know God, to obedience. Now watch this threefold strategy. By word and deed and the power of signs and wonders. Now zoom out on the Bible and those are, that's God's threefold strategy to bring people to him. Word, deed, the power of signs and wonders. Now as soon as I say the power of signs and wonders, some of you guys are like, whoa, 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 Josh. Like we about to get weird? It's about to become a weird, are you sitting at home with like a tinfoil cap? And are, you, is it, are we about to become a weird church? Well, let me just say this. Maybe, maybe we are. But first, if the ushers could come forward with the poisonous snakes, that'd be, would you guys, <laughs> obviously kidding, poisonous snakes are at the end of the service, you know, totally kidding. No, no, we just, guys, we just gotta be honest about what the Bible says about how God works through people through ages and generations to bring people to himself. And if that includes some things that make us feel uncomfortable or outside of our paradigm, we gotta say, hey, not my will but yours be done. So these, these th this threefold strategy, we're gonna get real practical real quick. Threefold strategy for witness in your life. Deed, word, the power of signs and wonders. Let's take each of them very quickly. Okay, number one, deed. You know, it's very interesting. Let me give you a little, little, little background on, on Daniel. So Daniel was probably 15 years old when God allowed Israel to be conquered by Babylon. So at 15 years old, Daniel becomes a victim of human trafficking, walks 700 miles to Babylon, so he's 15. From chapter one to two, it's a span of three years. From chapter two to three, it's a span of 17 years. And from chapter three to four, it's probably a span of between five and 10 years. So what that means is by the time we get to Daniel chapter four, he's about my age. He's mature. He's mature. By the way, if y'all could just pray for me, like I'm reaching that age where like, I'm sustaining sleep injuries. Uh, I did not, when I got to Lake Point, I had no gray hair at all. Go back and look at a sermon video from two years ago. Now my kids are going like, Dad, are you coloring over here? What's going, they don't understand what's happening. Uh, and, and when Lake Point is happening, that's what's happening. And, uh, and so I just, here's my, when people look at me and Jana, here's my little line, is it's, uh, it's obvious that uh, women age like wine and men age like milk. Okay, that's, so let, let me just, but here, I just wanna point this out. What that means is that by the time we get to Daniel 4, when Daniel verbally shares, quote unquote, the gospel with Nebuchadnezzar, Dan watch this, Daniel spent 30 years connecting before he did any correcting, before he gave any counsel. Daniel spent time giving care. In fact, I just wanna show you this in the passage. If you look at 4, 19 and 20, so when Nebuchadnezzar has this dream, God like gives him a night terror. Um, we today, 
if a therapist sat down with Nebuchadnezzar as it's described in Daniel 4, they would say, hey man, you've got generalized anxiety disorder. So he's like deeply troubled. But watch how Daniel responds when he he, uh, becomes to an awareness of the dream in verse 19. Then Daniel, also called Belteshazzar, was greatly perplexed for a time. And his thoughts terrified him. So the king said, Belteshazzar, do not let the dream or its meaning alarm you. And Belteshazzar answered, watch how he answers, my lord, if only the dream applied to your enemies and its meaning to your adversaries. In other words, Daniel has an obvious love for King Nebuchadnezzar. Now, this, all Daniel's doing is he's embodying the future command of Jesus to do this. To do this. Love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Can I be really honest? That is not our natural mode of operation in Texas. That's like not our natural thing. Uh, We are a state, we love a good fist fight. We like football because you get to hit people. What's our motto? Don't mess with. And the whole reason some of you moved here is because we got open carry. That's like, so like love your enemies is not the natural way to operate. Like, you hit me, I hit back. That's a natural thing to do. Do you know what the supernatural thing to do is? Love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. And this is what Daniel did. See, guys, you gotta remember, when Daniel's relating to Nebuchadnezzar, think about this, Nebuchadnezzar was the guy who conquered Daniel's nation, separated Daniel's family, turned him into a victim of human trafficking. In chapter one, forcibly had him castrated, and in chapter three, threw him into a fiery furnace. And yet here Daniel is ministering to Nebuchadnezzar in a period of deep anxiety. Do you know why? Because you cannot hate people and reach people at the same time. Love your enemies, pray for those who persecute you. Now, um, I just wanna give you, like here's a, I have a rule as a pastor that when I'm preaching, I try to never use myself as like the hero of a story, I'm gonna break my rule right now, but just know I'm a wretched black-hearted sinner and I believe it, okay? So just know that before I tell the story. So here's an example of this. Um, I shared part of this story uh, almost three years ago, but now I have an end to the story, okay? So when I was in high school, I had a friend, I'm I'm gonna call her Sarah, and Sarah, because of some abuse in a a church that she grew up in, uh, during high school, Sarah rejected her faith and she didn't like walk away from Jesus. Like she ran as fast as she could, as far as she could uh, from Jesus. And uh, in addition to just the lifestyle she started to live, you know, Sarah became a militant, like angry, Facebook meme posting uh, agnostic atheist. And that was just kind of Sarah's thing. Um, but for some reason, um, Jan and I, our entire marriage, we have just had, we love this girl. Uh, we have always just felt like a, an affection for her. We just like her. And God gave us a favor in that relationship. And so uh, throughout the years, you know, we would just, we, we, in, our, in our family, we have a line item in the Howerton family budget. It's called the blessings budget. And we are only allowed to use that budget to bless people who don't know God yet. And so uh, what happened is uh, every time Sarah would come in at a hard time in her life, you know, she'd come on a hard time and we'd go, hey, Sarah, uh, watch your mailbox. We're sending you some Amazon gift cards. She's a big reader. And there was one time uh, Sarah was in a really bad relationship and she was just having a really, really hard time. 
and we knew there was this type of wine that Sarah liked, like she'd mentioned this, and so we had a bottle of that wine sent to her house. Probably a bad pastoral strategy, by the way. Oh, you're feeling bad? Here's some alcohol. You know, it's not a great, not a great story. But we, we just wanted her to feel like blessed by us, so we, so we did that. Um, there was one time where Sarah had like a life crisis, and uh, she just needed somebody to talk to, and we just said, hey, Sarah, could we Skype with you just to give you a safe place to get out what's in your heart? And so we sat on our living room floor for like an hour, and uh, we listened to her. At the end of the conversation, Janet just very gently just said, hey, Sarah, uh, we know this isn't your thing, but like we're people of faith. Um, would it be okay with you if I prayed for you for a second? And without any hesitation, Sarah said, of course, and, uh, and we gotta pray for her. Now, all, all this stuff kept happening, and then um, one day, Sarah sent me a Facebook message. I'm gonna show, show this to you. Uh, she said, are you sitting down? I don't want you to hurt yourself. My Netflix wouldn't connect, so I listened to one of your sermons instead. You know, I'll take, listen, I'll take it however I can get it. That's it, I'll take it. Uh, and so, you know, it just kind of sparked this conversation. Okay, there's some spiritual interest there, that kind of thing. Now, really funny, later that same year, I never do this. I don't post my own sermons. It just feels too gross to me. So I never post my own sermons on, on my own social media. But I had this Easter message one time, and I was like, I crushed that message. I, you know, I'm, and so I, I posted it just like, man, if you want to know what I believe, Here's what I believe, and, and I post the only time I've ever done it. Uh, Sarah commented on this post, and if you can see it, she just said, she, she said, saved. And I, I freaked out. I was like, oh my goodness, like, Sarah gave her life to Christ. This is amazing. I'm messing her. Sarah, tell me what happened. She was like, no, 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 Josh, like, I saved it to listen to later, you know? It's like, <laughs> like as a pastor, I was like, well, that's what, you know, pastor problems. Saved means something different to me than the rest of the world. And, uh, and so this happened, and then fast forward a little farther, we just kept this conversation going, fast forward a little farther, one night, or one morning I wake up, and Sarah sends me this long message. She said, hey Josh, I woke up in the wee hours of the morning with horrible acid reflux. I went to the living room to try to get relief by sleeping in a recliner, but sleep wouldn't come, so I logged on to Facebook, and I went to my atheist group uh, to see if anyone was active or if there were any new posts or things to read. Being Easter, the group was overflowing with memes mocking Jesus and Christianity. After 15 minutes or so of looking through them, I noticed I was having a very negative reaction to them, and I closed the screen out. I tried to go to sleep again, but I still couldn't. I kept wondering why the post made me feel so awkward when I didn't particularly disagree with them. Another hour later, I realized it's because maybe I don't fully agree with them. Or at least I don't agree with the attitudes towards other beliefs. For five years, that group has been the place where I go to vent about the Christians in my life and get reassurance about my viewpoints. I started to wonder if being included in that group is part of the reason I'm struggling with trying to change my thought process. We've been talking about how when you become a Christian, it includes the renewing of your mind. You gotta think differently, and that's what she's talking about. So I log back onto the group and I click the leave button I'm not even sure why I feel the need to tell you about it, but I thought you'd like to know. So God's obviously working uh, in this girl's life, and so this keeps happening. Now, um, uh, let, let me just, we, we've continued this conversation. Uh, Jan and I had very deep conversation with Sarah about her faith. Do you guys want to know how that story ends? Yes. Well, please welcome to the stage, Sarah. I'm totally kidding. She's not here. That's a joke. <laughs> All right, you gotta have fun with this. You gotta have fun with this joke. Now, that is a joke. I've been waiting to do that all week. I've been waiting all week. Okay, that is a joke. 
Uh, Here's what's actually true. Last week, after almost 15 years of praying for and having a relationship with Sarah, I sat in my office between the 9.30 and the 11 o'clock services and watched Sarah's new church's church online where she was baptized for her new faith in Christ. That's right. That's right, man. Yeah. Okay. Now, can I just point something out to you real quick? I need to move on. We did not give Sarah an intellectual argument. We gave her gift cards, wine, and a babysitter. That's what we gave her. Listen, guys, it's our mercy that authenticates our message. A message of amazing grace can only be authenticated by people of amazing graciousness. And if you want to see somebody saved, make sure that they're served. The beginning of our witness strategy in somebody's life, it begins with deed ministry. Loving someone to build a relational bridge over which the gospel can travel later. That's number one, deed ministry. Now, let me give you a quick action step. On your way in, everybody grab this card. Can you zoom in on that guy? Zoom in on that guy, would you do that? On your way in, you got one of these cards. This is something that Jana and I use in our personal lives that we do here at Lake Point. It's called an impact card. Here's what I'm asking you to do. You will never hit a target that you're not aiming for. So you need to aim. Here's all this is. On the back of this card, I wanna ask you to, before you leave church today, write the names of three people that are close to you but far from God. Write their names right there in those three lines. If you're like me and Janet, you can put it right in the, on, your, on your bathroom mirror so you see it every morning, every evening. And every time you see it, just pray and ask God, God, would you open a door for me to meet a need in one of those people's lives? You pray that God would open a door for deed ministry. Okay, that's number one. I gotta I got move quicker. Number two, after deed ministry comes word ministry. After deed ministry becomes word ministry. So all throughout the book of Daniel, you'll see, watch this, you'll see Daniel and his friends, they'll just slip into conversations something verbally, a, a testimony or a witness about the power and the reality of God. So for instance, in this chapter, when Nebuchadnezzar has a dream and he goes, Daniel, can you interpret this dream? Daniel goes, well, actually, like, I can't. But there is a God in heaven who can. In Daniel chapter three, the chapter before, uh, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, fiery furnace, whenever they're getting ready to be thrown in, they just verbal witness. Our God is able to save us, but if not, we're still gonna worship him, verbal witness. And then in this passage, watch how this passage ends. So after Daniel interprets Nebuchadnezzar's dream, verse 27, he gives a verbal witness. Therefore, your majesty, be pleased to accept my advice. Watch this. Renounce your sins by doing what is right and your wickedness by being kind to the oppressed. It may be then that your prosperity will continue. Guys, We simply have to be people who open our lips to share the message of Christ, redeeming the world to God through his crucified and risen body. We have to verbally do that. Now, let me be really honest about my generation and down. This can feel especially like cringy in my generation and down when you are constantly bombarded with statements like, speak your truth, you do you. Who am I to judge? Good vibes only. Okay, listen. In a cultural worldview, watch this, that defines the good life as the ability to express your inner thoughts and feelings. That's the good life according to my generation and down. The ability to express your inner thoughts and feelings. 
which means that my generation and down tends to define harm as anything that invalidates my inner thoughts or feelings. In that culture, it feels rude and to some people even immoral to preach the gospel to a culture where tolerance is the highest value. Let me just cut through the noise because of what we believe. Let me just cut through the noise and, and, and just give you something. Pastor Chris Simmons is a, is a pastor of a predominantly African-American church in Dallas. Um, he, is an, uh, he is a 25-year running Lake Point hero. Uh, he leads Cornerstone Church that we've had uh, a financial partnership for 25 years as a church. Um, guys, no one, and I, and I mean this, there is nobody more committed to issues of justice, serving the poor, deed ministry than Chris Simmons. Um, his church alone runs a food pantry, a clothes closet for the homeless. Homeless, they, house, uh, they have a house near the church that shelters single moms and pregnant teens. They own a building that helps inmates re-enter into society after the release from prison and, and counsels them thereof. But Chris Simmons, as, as devoted as he is to alleviating human suffering, Chris Simmons just simply says this. It brought me to tears when I heard him say this. He said, if a man is hungry, he can recover from that. If he's naked, he can recover from that. If he is hurting, he can recover from that. But if a man dies without a relationship with Christ, he has just been dealt a blow from which he shall never recover. If we are people that care about the alleviation of human suffering, we have to care about the eternal suffering that people experience by dying apart from Christ. Now, let me just show you, I got, a, I got a visual illustration for this. Let me show you visually why a lot of people struggle with this, okay? A lot of people struggle with this because, watch this, um, we, we tend to think, you see these little lines on the stage, we tend to, a lot of times, we think of people's salvation, them coming to God, we think of that as a point. It's like a moment in time. But in reality, while there always is a point where they turn their life over to Christ, their entire conversion process, remember this. So let's say that God is here. I'm, I got this labeled zero. So this is zero steps away from God. Um, the analogy the Bible gives us, the parable of the prodigal son, is that that person had walked steps away from God. And that's where most people are. They're like, let's say that this one's labeled negative 10. You can't see it, but I can. Let's say that people who don't know God, they're like at a negative 10. They are 10 steps away from God. Now, a lot of people, here's why you struggle. You struggle with sharing verbal witness because you think it's your job, zoom out, so I'm, I'm getting ready to run. You think it's your job to get somebody in one conversation from here, 10 steps away from God, to in one conversation, I gotta get them here. I'm never gonna do that ever again. That's the last time you ever see me run in a sermon, okay? You think that's your job. And, and here's, why, here's why, why you get tripped up and you never end up verbally sharing anything about God with other people is because you mistake your role in the courtroom. What did Jesus, Jesus say? Jesus said, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my, what is it? Witnesses. You mistake your place in the courtroom. You think it's your job to be a lawyer when Jesus said it's just your job to be a witness. A lawyer's job is to make an airtight case. A witness's job is just to share their side of the story. Guys, verbal witness, here's all it is. It's just you sharing your side of the story of walking with God and what he's done in your life. So you, you wanna know, here's what most people's salvation actually looks like. Let's say they start over here 10 steps away from God. 
Most people, they're like, I hate, hate God, and you know, I'm, here's my atheist Facebook group, and I'm really antagonistic. And then what'll happen is they'll have one interaction with a Christian that's kind, thoughtful, and intelligent, and they'll go, huh, that's not what I thought Christians were. And they don't become a Christian, but they move from a negative 10 to a negative nine. Um, you might be out with a bunch of friends on a boat one weekend, and there's like, like one of those like glorious sunsets. It's just like, oh my goodness, like I can't believe that's a thing. And just on the boat, you may just say something like this. You may just go, man, like that pulls worship out of my heart. And somebody may hear that and go, oh man, what a beautiful way to live is to give thanks for this thing that the creator gave. And that may, they don't become a Christian in that moment, but it moves them from a negative nine to a negative eight. Then there may come a time where like somebody just brings up uh, you know, a, a question that they have, like, oh, why didn't God heal everybody? Or you know, why, God's so good, why is there suffering in the world? And, and somebody just provides them a real quick answer. Like, hey, someday he will. You know, Jesus is gonna return, make all things new. And when Jesus came to the cross, he experienced the deepest pain of human suffering, so he's in it with us, something like that. Just somebody answers a question, they don't become a Christian in that moment, but they move from a 10, 9, 8. They move from a negative 8 to a negative 7. And then there's some point where like they're in traffic and somebody cuts them off in traffic with a Lake Point sticker on the back of their car and they go like this. That's it. That's a joke. That's a joke. But for real, something may happen. They, or like a bunch of Christians go to a, a restaurant and you tip like 5% on your meal. By the way, let me just say like, don't do that. And if you're doing that, quit doing it. You're hurting us. Like 20%. There's your, your baseline. Okay, somebody, let me get that out there. If, you, if you're a waiter or a waitress and you know Christians that do that constantly, report them to the elders and we'll speak to them. You know, it's a joke. <laughs> All right. But anyway, so, so that happens. And then let me, let me just say it like this. Maybe there's a spot. Let's say you're like a teacher or a lawyer. Maybe you're really successful in business. Maybe you swing a hammer and you're just like a doodly dude, whatever it is. And somehow you just mention one time in a conversation, you're like, man, somebody goes, hey, how was your weekend? Oh, man, it was an absolutely unbelievable weekend. Like, man, swam with the kids on Saturday and grilled out Saturday night. Uh, man, Sunday night, amazing. Watch the Cowboys game. They won. That's going to happen today. I'm claiming it in Jesus' name. You know, that kind of thing. All that's happening. Applause for real. That gets, okay, all right, we can do that. Yeah, it's just strange things that get applause, you know. All right, yeah, but, you, but then you just slip something like this. Oh, and man, like, dude, worship was amazing at our church this weekend. And my kids are just doing so good because of it. And that it's the first time they realize that you're a Christian, and they always thought of weird people like me, like those are the, and they have, they'll look at me and they'll go, I don't wanna be like that, <laughs> honestly. But then they meet somebody like you and they go, whoa, well, she's a Christian, he's a Christian, I could be a Christian like that. And they go, okay, that moves them from here to here. Or here, actually that one has a, a big effect, here to here. By the way, let me just say this. Whatever God creates, Satan counterfeits. In the religion of sex, coming out is the counterfeit of baptism. It's the moment in time where somebody goes, I'm gonna live this way. This is who I am. This is my identity. This is my lifestyle. And can I be really honest? We need more Christians with the courage to come out as Christians. Like how many people in your life don't know that you know God? How many people in your life don't know that you know God? We, we just need people to know, man, I, I'm a Christian. Or then, let me, let me do one that has a huge pull, a huge pull. Or then, they're walking through a hard time in their life, maybe they're walking through a divorce, and you just say something like this. You say, man, little, little sentence. You say, man, may not be your thing. I just want you to know, like, I never would have made it through my divorce without God in my life. 
That's all you say. That one may move them from here to like here. For real, for real, for real. Now, again, here's what keeps most people from sharing a verbal witness is, listen, evangelism is a team sport. Paul planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. Not everyone is gifted to, quote, close the sale. There's, in fact, I think it's about 10% of Christians who have the spiritual gift of evangelism that are gifted to close the sale. Watch this, guys. It's not your job to close the sale in every conversation. Your job is just to move them from a negative five to a negative three or a negative four to a negative two. Just get them here. And then here's what's gonna happen. When they get here, they're gonna come across somebody. Maybe they come to church. By the way, that's my job is to be gifted to close the sale. The people that are in our connection centers, the people in there have the spiritual gift of evangelism. They're gifted to close the sale. And they'll get here, they'll hear somebody give a gospel presentation that's gifted in that way, and that's what gets them from here to here. Evangelism is a team sport. Your job is not to be a lawyer that gives an airtight case. It's to be a witness that shares your side of the story. And if you can do that, well, listen, God can use you. Now, here's your action step. I'm going to give an action step for each of these three. Here's your action step. Every time we open a new campus at Lake Point, there is nothing we do that results in more people, new people coming to Christ than opening a new campus. We are in God's providence and grace. We're claiming it. We are less than one year away from opening our brand new North Dallas campus close to the heart of Dallas. Less than one year. That's right. We're real excited about that. Now, let me be really honest. Here's what we need. We need at least a 1,000-person launch team. That, that's like for real what I'm praying for. 1,000-person launch team to help us launch that campus to get the, the message of Christ out to people who deeply need him. So here's what I need. We need hundreds of you to go, I would be willing for at least six months to a year to attend the North Dallas campus, give, serve, attend there, to help get that campus off the ground to get the message of Christ out. If you would be willing to do that, would you please stop listening to me for about 10 seconds and simply text the word LAUNCH to the number 20411 and we'll just start getting you information about that campus launch that's coming up. So there's your action step for that one. Okay, now, number three. This is my favorite one. Whole message leads up to this moment. Deed, word, and the power of signs and wonders. Guys, you simply cannot read the book of Daniel without seeing that God speaks to Nebuchadnezzar through prophetic dreams and visions. And then he speaks, he speaks to Nebuchadnezzar and then he speaks through Daniel through the spiritual gift of dream interpretation. He does things like deliver men from fire all throughout this book. And guys, what you need to understand is that all throughout Christian history, what God does is he validates the truth of the gospel through signs and wonders, what we call miracles. He is still doing that today. God is still in that business that has not finished one bit. In fact, I just wanna point this out to you. You see this all throughout the Bible. Okay, you see it here in Daniel chapter two. Fast forward to Mark chapter two. Jesus walks up to a dude and he goes, hey man, your sins are forgiven. Greatest gift a guy could ever get. Your sins are forgiven. All the Pharisees are like, whoa, bro, who do you think you are? Fake, fake Messiah. Who are you to forgive sins? You remember what Jesus said? He said, so that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. And then he looks at the guy and he says, pick up that mat and you walk. 
And it, because of his miracle, his miracle validated the truth of his message. Fast forward to the end of the Gospels. The greatest miracle that has ever happened is Jesus' heart started beating again. He got up and he walked out of a grave. Do you know how we know that Christianity is the, Jesus is the way, the truth, the life, and nobody comes to the Father except through him? Because he did something that Buddha, Muhammad, Confucius, no other teacher has ever done. He got back up out of the grave and he is alive today. He is alive. God validated, God validated the truth of the message of Jesus by raising him from the dead. Fast forward again to Acts, or you see this in the life of the apostles. Paul said this when he preached in, the, in Corinth. He, watch what he said in 1 Corinthians. He said, hey, I didn't come to you with wise or persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the spirit and power. And that's why you believed. God validated his message through a miracle. Fast forward again to Acts, to Acts chapter four. I love this one so much. Persecution comes on the early church. When they're persecuted, they retreat into one of their friend's homes to pray. Now, if you were them, what would you have prayed for? You know, I would have thought they'd go, hey, God, please save us from this persecution. God, would you please make a way for us to get out of Jerusalem and away from our persecutors? God, please protect our families. God, please bring judgment up upon the people who are trying to persecute us. They pray none of those things. Watch what they pray in Acts 4.29. Now, Lord, consider their threats, watch this, and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. Verse 30, stretch out your hand to heal and perform signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. And after they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, and they spoke the word of God boldly. Guys, do you see this pattern? They prayed, God shook them, and then they shook the world. They prayed, God, would you please? We wanna see people saved, so would you stretch out your hand to heal? Would you stretch out your hand to do miracle, sign, and wonder? Let me just be really honest, Lake Point Church. If we, if you, ever become a person who is apathetic towards the possibility of God stretching out his hand to perform signs, wonders, healings, and, 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 and miracles, or when they are claimed to happen, you always have an attitude of suspicion, very simply, you are simply nothing like the early church in Acts chapter four. When we adopt these attitudes towards the possibility of God's radical, miraculous intervention in the world, let me just say something very grave. I mean this with, with an utter seriousness. That cannot be interpreted as anything other than quenching the Holy Spirit. It cannot be. Now you see this everywhere. Guys, God still does this. Let me give one example and let me land the plane on this. So Babylon is in modern day Iraq. Do you know where one of the fastest growing churches in the world is, is right now? It is in the adjacent country to Iraq, Iran. In Muslim-dominated Iran, there are more than one million, one million Christians in underground churches throughout Iran. Do you know how they're getting saved? There are reports of the, all, all over the place. They're getting inundated with dreams of Jesus appearing to them in dreams and telling them that he is the Christ. Like there's like, that's like actual real stuff that's happening. Okay, let me read you just one. So there's a guy that's speaking at the uh, Lake Point Marriage Conference that's coming Friday. He's a pastor named J.D. Greer. He's a Southern Baptist guy raised in that background. You'll see why that's important here in a second. For two years, he was a missionary in a predominantly Muslim country in Eastern Asia. And he tells the story of him developing a relationship with a guy named Ahmed that he spent two years trying to share the gospel with. 
Every time he tried to share the gospel, Ahmed said the same thing. He said, you were born in a Christian country and you honor the faith of your parents. I was born in a Muslim country and I honor the faith of mine. You were born a Christian and will die a Christian. I was born a Muslim, I will die a Muslim. And for two years he said that. You were born a Christian, you'll die a Christian. I was born a Muslim, I'll die a Muslim, over and over and over. On his last day there, he got with Ahmed and passionately shared with him the gospel, wanting him to come to Christ. And he said the same thing again. You were born a Christian, you'll die a Christian. I was born a Muslim, I'll die a Muslim. You honor the faith of your parents, I honor the faith of mine. But the next day, Ahmed chased J.D. Greer down and told him this. After our conversation, I had a dream. At first, I thought it was one of those dreams that comes from eating strange fish. I like that. <laughs> but I've had those kinds of dreams, and this was different. In my dream, I was standing on earth and suddenly opened before my feet was a, and he quotes the Bible unknowingly, was a straight and narrow way leading to heaven. And as I looked up along this pathway to heaven, you were on it. You arrived at heaven's gates, but the way inside was blocked by huge brass doors. I thought to myself, that is where his journey ends. Who has the power to open those doors? But then to my surprise, someone inside knew you and they called your name. The doors then swung open wide for you, and you went in, and then my heart broke because I really wanted to go with you. But then the doors opened again, and you came back out. You walked back down the path and reached out your hand to me, and you pulled me up to heaven with you. And after recounting that dream, he looked at J.D. Greer, and he said, what in the world do you think my dream means? Now, you gotta remember, J.D. Greer grew up in like a very traditional Baptist home. Dreams and dream interpretation and prophecy were not standard part of his religious repertoire. But in that moment, I think empowered by the Spirit, he said, brother, you are so in luck. Dream interpretation is my spiritual gift. <laughs> and he went on to explain the gospel to this guy. Now listen, guys. God puts the super in the natural. That's what God does. And God acts and God heals, and God speaks, and God delivers, and God saves, and God lives. How do I know it? Because he says it, he says it in this book, and my God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Forever. Now, you may be asking, Josh, if that's true, why are we not seeing more of that in our midst? That, that's a whole other sermon. But let me say one thing. There was one moment where Jesus entered a city and he approached the people there and what it says in Matthew 13 is he says, and he did not do many miracles there because of their lack of faith. Very often, the reason that God doesn't do miracles is not unwillingness in him, it's unbelief in us. And so Lake Point Church, the action step for this is for us to become people who call on the name of the Lord to stretch out his hand, to perform signs and wonders, to authenticate his message in the midst of a dark, lost, and dying world. And so here's what we're gonna do right now. The sermon's not over. In fact, the last part of this sermon is a prayer. Would you please stand at all of our campuses? Would you please stand right now? Don't hit the door. This is the end of the... Right now, what I want us to do is turn the next song that we're about to sing in a prayer into a prayer. This is a house of miracles. And we are calling on the Holy Spirit and saying, we believe, help our unbelief, we're all in. And we're saying, God, 
would you please pour out your spirit on this church to perform signs and wonders, miracles in our midst, to authenticate the reality of the risen Christ to a world that needs him. So turn it into a prayer. If there's somebody you know that needs to know God, ask for that miracle today and make this your moment. Let's pray together in song. Thanks for listening today. For more biblical teaching and worship, join us for our church online live weekend services on Saturdays at 5 p.m. and Sundays at 9.30 and 11 a.m. Central Standard Time. For more information about all the digital ministries of Lake Point, visit lakepoint.church/digital. Lake